Because our children and teens are vulnerable, they need to be protected. After more than two decades as a family counselor, our friend Julie Lowe has seen how important it is to help parents and caregivers think wisely and biblically about the dangers children face. Instead of living in fear or denial, parents and caregivers can equip children to assess people and situations and model for them how to live by faith in a world where evil exists. Today, we chat with Julie to get insights from her brand new book, Safeguards, Shielding Our Homes and Equipping Our Kids, on this episode of Youth Culture Matters. From the Center for Parent Youth Understanding, this is Youth Culture Matters. If you're a parent, youth worker, educator, counselor, grandparent, or anyone else who cares about kids, we're glad you've joined us for this practical, informative, and hope-filled podcast. This is a place where together we talk and think Christianly about the rapidly changing world of today's children, teens, and young adults. Well, welcome everybody to another episode of Youth Culture Matters. I'm Walt Mueller here at CPYU, and if you track with us at all, you're aware that what we try to do through this podcast, and really through all of our resource, it, resources, is connect you with uh, some of the things that are out there resource-wise, human resource-wise, you know, written resources that are, that are really, really helpful and practical. And we always start with a, a standard that those things have to be based on the truths of God's Word, a, a high view of the authority of God's Word. And so today, we're going to talk about a brand new resource that's written by Julie Lowe, a friend of ours who works at CCEF, which is the Christian Counseling and Educational Foundation. Julie's been on the podcast several times before, and when this book came out, we said, all right, we need to get her on here. The book is called Safeguards, Shielding Our Homes and Equipping Our Kids. So, Julie, welcome. Thank you for having me. It, it's so good to be able to chat with you. And as I said to you before we started to record, we were earlier on a call, Chris Wagner and I, with several youth workers who were part of one of our faith and culture cohorts where we talk about issues that teenagers are facing in the world and try to deal with them from a deep theological perspective and then always come out on the other end with some some practical guidelines that we can enlist in our churches. And one of the issues that came up this time around, it seems to come up all the time, is that when we deal with issues with students that students are uh, struggling to navigate, uh, these are kids in our youth groups from Christian homes by and large, a lot of it just goes back to parents not leading well. And during our cohort today, I said, oh, later today I'm going to talk to Julie Lowe about this new book. I held the book up and showed them on the Zoom call and said, you all need to get this. So uh, talk a little bit about the genesis of this particular book and, and why you wrote it and what you hope for it. Yeah, well, as you know, I counsel a lot of families and kids and teens, and I also consult with churches when there have been abuse issues and, and how to navigate them well. And when you think about prevention, how do you, how do you protect, how do you prevent these things from happening to our young people, I always go back to the home, that we need a better equipped parents to know how to talk to their kids about things. And as we know, there's a biblical foundation that everything starts in the home. Education does, spiritual direction does, discipleship does. Um, And so it really was on my heart to say, we need to equip parents to know how to talk to kids about these hard issues. Um, because yes, of course the church should and youth pastors, this is great stuff for them to do in youth groups as well. But 
if our families aren't doing this, we're waiting way too long and kids are being exposed to this stuff at exponential numbers without any discernment or any tools to know how to navigate it. Yeah, and the and the posture, you know, right? The, the posture of the book, and when you start in the beginning with the introduction and it's subtitled The Need to Equip Our Kids, you talk about three foundi- foundational principles for understanding this book. And they're really important. And it, it really is, they're at the foundation of so much of what we do as parents. And so uh, would you just kind of go through what those are and unpack them for us? Yeah, maybe I'll start with the verse that I really grounded in, and that's Hebrews 5.14 that says, um, talks about the mature have these powers of discernment trained by constant practice to distinguish good from evil. And I think that that's the whole foundation to say, you know what, our kids need to know good from evil. We start there. Um, that we live in this broken, fallen world, there is evil, there is peril, there is danger, and that exists both within us and outside of us, right? And so we have the struggle of teaching young people that danger lurks within our own hearts as much as it does outside of us, and we need to know our own hearts. We need to know good from evil, right from wrong. Um, Then we need to be equipped so there's the, the realities of the world we live in, that it's broken and fallen and these dangers exist. There is the reality that we need to train our kids. So Hebrews says uh, the, the powers of discernment that come with constant practice to distinguish good from evil. So I love that because it gives me everything right there as a parent to say what my kids need to navigate this world is discernment and wisdom. How do they get that? by constant practice of distinguishing good from evil. And as a parent or as an adult, am I constantly training young people to distinguish good from evil in everyday life, what they do? Sometimes it's good from not so good. Sometimes it's right from wrong. Sometimes it's the morally gray. But if we're not granting and practicing and equipping our kids with discernment, they won't navigate these hard realities well. I love that. The word discernment, that's one that we, we live into here at CPYU with what we do. And, and that came up several times today as we were talking to the folks, uh, the, the guys in the, in the cohort. They're, they're just saying, you know, we really need to start to equip folks to be able to see right from wrong. Um, you talk in here about ultimately, we, we need to have this understanding that ultimately safety rests in the hands of our God. And I was thinking about that, uh, you know, one of the books that we've been excited about here over the years, um, and I don't know if you've read it, Julie, or not, but The Coddling of the American Mind by Jonathan Haidt and Greg Lukianoff. Yeah, you may not be familiar with that. Um, so they're social psychologists, and they're not writing from a Christian perspective, but I would say that they hold to, you know, what we might call it more of a traditional Judeo-Christian, you know, value or view of the world. And they're looking at what's happened to our college students today and how, you know, they get triggered so easily. They just can't handle everything. And they talk about safetyism. I don't know if you've heard that word, but just this leaning into, you know, we're just going, we're going overboard and trying to help our kids be safe constantly and with parents. And I think this third foundation really speaks to that. Could you talk a little bit more about that? Just that our safety ultimately rests in the hands of our God. 
Yeah. So I talk about, I think I say in there that um, although uh, a goal is safety for my children, it's not my ultimate goal. My ultimate goal <clears throat> is their relationship with the Lord, that they rest in their relationship with the Lord and they learn to discern good from evil. And then safety is a fruit of that. Safety skills, discernment, um, how they interact with things in life is a fruit of walking with the Lord. But that foundation, this biblical rich worldview that says our hope is in a God who does sometimes allow hard things in our life, who does call us to live in a broken world and navigate it, which isn't a promise of a bubble of protection around us. It's a promise of his presence in the midst of peril and hard things, and that he equips us to know how to walk through those things well. Yeah. Can you talk a little bit about, because you, you again, you've walked with so many families through, I mean, things that most of us, we may only hear about and never experience. Can you talk about the role of, you know, leaning into the Lord in the midst of suffering and what comes out of that when we you know, drop our arms to our sides and say, okay, Lord, I've got nothing, which I think is is part of, we're not willing to do that, right? Parents don't want to get to that point. They just want to have control over everything and think, you know, my kids are safe. Can you mm-hmm. talk a little bit about the redemptive value of suffering? Perhaps that's the best way to, to say it. Yeah. Yeah. And who of us likes suffering? I, right. I'll say, Lord, if it's your will, and then I cringe and I wait to see Please don't let that be be your will. None of us want, I don't want my children to experience hardship or suffering or abuse or any of the harsh realities that exist in the world. And that's actually, that goes to the title of the book, quite honestly, where we were challenged to say, what is it? What is the message? Safeguarding doesn't promise bad things won't happen. It just means we're equipping for the world we live in. And that's often as a parent, or for my children or children, we want to be promised suffering won't happen. When the reality is a biblical worldview says suffering will happen. And as a matter of fact, expect it to happen. Um, And so how do I do that, but also be equipped to navigate it, to know how to respond to it, to know how to think about it, to know how to prevent it when I am able to prevent it, to know how to stand up for others when I am able to intervene on their behalf. So teaching our kids is equipping them to also when they see suffering in other people's lives, when they're called to step in um, and be a help, be a helper in the situation. And so this, this idea that we can keep our kids safe almost means that we become, what are all the language we use in parenting, helicopter parents or uh, tiger parents, or, you know, we try to control and shrink our worlds rather than equipped to go out and live in the world fully. So it's a very different paradigm. Yeah, I've heard uh, beyond helicopter parenting, right, snowplow parenting, lawnmower yeah. parenting, all these different yeah. ways of parenting. And yeah. I think that's been going on long enough now that just anecdotally and even with some of the data, we start to see across the board that there is there, there are lower levels of resilience in kids as they move into adulthood. Can you comment on that as well? Yeah, I think when I protect my kids, but I don't equip them, when I shelter them, that's language we would use, right? When we shelter kids, but we don't train them how to think or know how to navigate situations, we're crippling them just as much as harm could cripple them. 
uh, because we're instilling in them either a worldview that says the world's not safe, they can't trust God, they can't navigate it, uh, which is paralyzing to them, um, or we're sending them out into the world without anything. But the tendency of a lot of Christian parents is let's shelter our kids and just make sure bad things don't happen. And we have found that, you know, bad things exist within our own hearts. Corruption exists within our own hearts, our own homes, our own families, that you can't keep that out. You can be wise and protective, but you also want to equip to navigate. And when you do this, you don't raise fearful kids, you raise competent kids. Mm, that's good. You, you talk in the book, and I like this, about uh, parents, all of us need to, I guess, strike the balance between uh, realism about what the world is like, you know, the brokenness there, the things we, we will face, and then the balance between that, realism about that, and then faith. Can you talk more about how maybe a mom and a dad or a parent can, can strike that balance, some practical ways? Yeah, I mean, sometimes if I watch the news or listen to people's stories enough, I'm sure this happens in youth ministry all the time as well, you can become very disillusioned or afraid or um, what overwhelmed by the, the direction, the tide, everything is going in. And that forgets that there, there is a God who goes before us and who is with us. We also don't want to ignore the reality. So I talk about worry and denial and fear are not good safety skills. They worry uh, projects into the future it says what if and it doesn't pay attention to what's happening now it doesn't give discernment um, it blurs discernment it blurs perception and then denial just doesn't want to take a look at it the hard things that exist and so denial means i pretend that this isn't an option or a possibility both harm our children both harm us from being prepared where wisdom and discernment says yeah, we accept the harsh realities of the world we live in, and now wisdom tells us how to walk through those things well. I, I'm, I'm, you know, as you're talking about this, I'm thinking about a couple of your colleagues at CCEF, Ed Welch, and then, uh, you know, the late David Pallison, and I, I've listened to them speak, and I've read their books, and I think, well, I can't remember who said it or how exactly they said it. I'll botch it and paraphrase it here. You can correct me. But, you know, that, that worry and anxiety, it's this sense that, you know, God's not going to get this right. Right. Yeah, is that, is that the way they said that? Talk a little bit about that, because there is this theological component there that we think, you know, our worry, maybe what's causing us to worry, you know, our worry is a good thing because we care about our kids, right? When, in fact, right. and you said this earlier, it's counterproductive. There's so much we do that's well-intentioned that's actually counterproductive is not honoring to the Lord and doesn't bring about the, the kind of results that uh, God would, would desire in our parenting and in the lives of our kids. Yeah. Yeah, there's something about control. When I worry, I what I'm saying is somebody's not in control and I've got to figure this out. This is how my mind works with that. And so what worry does is it assumes God's not in control. God's not sovereign over this. And I've got to somehow be sovereign over it or protect or forget to or not forget to or and your world shrinks it slowly gets smaller and smaller. Um, and that's what we do to our young people where we can inadvertently shelter them without ever equipping them 
And we find that kids can go to college then or they go out into the world and they have no resources to navigate the perils well. And they feel utterly ill-equipped and actually fall into the very things that we were trying to prevent from, from happening to them because we're not, we're not even preparing them that it could happen. Now, what worry does as well is if a parent parents out of worry or an adult projects and tries to protect out of worry, kids learn two things. They learn to worry. And again, they're in that perpetual state of anxiety and fear and not trusting that God's with them in the world. Or they learn to write us off as irrelevant and inadequate to help them because they've realized that 20 things that mom or dad worried about never came to reality. Therefore, mom and dad don't know what they're talking about. So it either hinders them, paralyzes them, or they write us off as irrelevant. Um, where when we take the the approach that we look for things in life, I mean, all, all week long, our kids are being exposed to things we could be helping them interact with, and we could be role-playing with them and practicing and helping them to discern and asking them what they think about it and what they would do if they were in that situation. That's all an equipping mentality that says, I want you to know how to think, and I want to know what you would do in this situation. I want you to know what the right thing to do would be. Mm. So... You know, I'm thinking here about parents. We always say that, uh, you know, in terms of faith development or how young people grow up to embrace or not embrace the Christian faith or sort of partially embrace it. You know, Christian Smith writes about this a lot. And it's certainly scriptural. We have to remember that young people grow up to become like their parents, right, in more ways than we imagine. And so as I hear you talking about this, that, that I'm thinking, okay, so worry. And this was, this was eye-opening to me years ago when I realized that sort of my, what I thought was my well-intentioned, godly concern about things, whether it was in ministry or in my own family, um, it was worry and it was ultimately idolatry. When somebody, you know, said to me, hey, you're trying to play God, um, basically, that was, you know, that was really... Um, eye-opening to me. And so in many ways, what I hear you saying is if we're worrying and we're leaning into that idolatry, and we would be appalled, right, to, to think, yeah. well, I'm being, I'm well-intentioned here. You know, theologically, I wouldn't say it, but functionally, that's what we're doing. We're actually passing that kind of faith, quote-unquote faith, uh, you know, in some of these, some of these bad postures down to our kids, right? I mean, that's the legacy right. we leave. Yeah, and I also think it's a trust issue, right? I'm not trusting God in these moments and what he will or won't bring into my life. And that is the danger. God doesn't promise what will or won't enter into our life. So it becomes very relational and theological very quickly because do I trust somebody sovereign in this or do I have to be sovereign? Do I have to be God? Do I have to be in control? Which is where the language of idolatry can enter into. Yeah, yeah. Um we're going to take a break here. When we when we come back, we're going to talk about specifically some of these issues that we need to be concerned about. Julie addresses a lot of those in this book, Safeguards, Shielding Our Homes and Equipping Our Kids. Stick with us. We'll be right back. If you enjoy listening to Youth Culture Matters and would like to support the ongoing efforts of this ministry, you can do so by visiting cpyu.org giving to make a donation. Your prayers and financial support make this podcast possible.
Well, welcome back, everybody. We're having a conversation with our friend Julie Lowe. Julie is a, a longtime professional counselor with the Christian Counseling and Educational Foundation. She does a lot of work with children, teenagers, and families. We've been able to tap into her wisdom over the years and really appreciate everything she writes. Uh, I want to let you know that if you go to cpyu.org and you find the player for this particular episode of Youth Culture Matters, if you scroll down underneath, Chris Wagner here will include a a whole series of of links to everything that we talk about here, Julie's books, CCEF, any other resources that are mentioned here, and that'll make it easy for you. Just go to those player notes and you can find the links to everything that we talk about. Julie, I want to ask you about, help us unpack a little bit about wisdom and discernment, just practically how that works out and how you how you talk about that. Yeah, you don't often think when you think of safety skills, wisdom and discernment aren't the words that come to mind often. And my argument is actually wisdom and discernment are the safety skills that young people need, that you and I need, even as as grown adults. So what do I mean by that? I mean um, that we need to teach young people to evaluate behavior, not character. Character notoriously gets us off track because the nature of deceptive people is to present one way while live another. We see that language in scripture, the deceiving, uh, they speak peace with their mouths while evil is in their hearts, Proverbs says. And if you you look up the language of deception in scripture, it says that all the time, there's this duplicity. But yet we think children are good enough to discern character when you and I as adults often aren't that that good at being able to discern good character. A liar is gonna lie, a deceiver is gonna deceive, a con artist is gonna con. So what's a better way? A better way is, well, teach kids to evaluate what somebody says and does. Look at their behavior. Look at what they're asking of you. Is it good and right or is it wrong and bad? Is it unwise? Is it sneaky? Is it? Are they asking you to lie? So you start with younger kids. You start with things like the babysitter to grandparents, to aunts and uncles, to cousins, to friends, to their siblings. And as kids get older, it's your youth leaders, it's your coaches, it's your peer group. Is what they're asking of you and what they're leading you to do, is it wise and good? Is it unwise? You know, what's when you evaluate that, they make better decisions. They look at it. And I'm not saying, well, this person's good or bad. That's what trips us up, right? We don't want to think ill of somebody. We're taught to believe the best about somebody. And so even as Christians, it makes us feel bad if we think we're misjudging somebody. But if I say judge somebody's actions, judge their words and attitudes, it frees me up to evaluate is what they're doing good or right. And that's where wisdom and discernment become the ultimate safety skills. Mm. Okay, so uh, as you're saying that, I'm thinking here, I'm imagining you in front of a group of parents, you're talking about this, you're unpacking this, and a parent raises their hand. I mean, this is so common in today's world. A parent says, well, wait a minute, we're not supposed to judge, right? Uh, judge not. Jesus said, don't judge. Yeah, how would you answer that parent on that? Yeah. And I say, well, actually, the Bible also says to judge, to judge righteously, to judge somebody's actions, to judge a tree by its fruit, right? So that's what we're doing. We're not judging that I know your character and heart, but I can judge your words and actions as right or wrong. And I, I think that liberates us a lot when we can do that. Cause I don't have to say, well, well, you're a terrible person. I can say, Hey, well, what you said was wrong or what you did was wrong. 
And that's, that's where we are called to judge a person according to their actions. Yeah. Well, I've heard those phrases a lot over the years from, from everybody <laughs> in my circles, right, Chris? I mean, it's just, that's funny. Yeah. Um, so, and, and, and the reason I asked that question is because culturally right now, like that's one of the mantras, right? Oh, yeah. If you, if you call out anybody, you're not loving them, you're not caring for them. It's yeah. a, it, I mean, it just totally undermines what the scriptures teach us. And I think this is one of the reasons why we've gotten to where we're at. And, and so as I listen to you talk about wisdom and discernment, I'm thinking to myself, boy, we, we really have in our churches, we really need to unpack that biblically. We need to preach to that. We need to mm-hmm. teach those skills. And in the home, once we, we grasp that, which you're helping us do here, then we need to start to uh, teach that to our, to our kids. Could you work this out, what you just explained yeah. to us, maybe with an example of one of the particular issues you choose that you write about in the book that's a, a safety issue, something we need to be concerned about? Yeah, uh, uh, I'll throw out a couple, but I'll land on one. So there's stranger danger, there's not making kids show affection, there's sleepovers. There's all these issues where we've become very black and white, right? And people have very strong opinions. You have, you do allow this, you don't allow it. Um, strangers are dangerous is the formula where the reality is that it's not the strangers we should worry, be worried about, it's the people we know. And if I say all strangers are dangerous, what happens to a child or teenager that's lost or in peril and they need to approach a stranger and I've not taught them who to approach and what to say and how to know if somebody's a safe person to approach. Strangers, I tell my kids, even as teenagers, strangers aren't dangerous, dangerous people are dangerous. And how do you know if somebody's dangerous? By their words and their actions. And that could be somebody you know or somebody you don't know. So how do I keep equipping my kids, whether they're six or 16 or 26? I say, did so-and-so tell you the right thing to do? Then you should always listen. Doesn't matter if it's your younger sibling. Doesn't matter if it's your peer. Doesn't matter if it's the coach. Doesn't matter who it is. If it's the right thing to do, you should do it. Likewise, if this person told you the wrong thing to do, you should never do it. And I will support you, which is so important to say to a young person when we teach them their whole life to comply and obey. But then I say, now you can defy an adult. They need to know I will support you if you in good conscience think you're doing the right thing. So if a coach or a, a somebody over you says, get in the car and go do this or lie about this, and you know it's the wrong thing to do, you never have to listen and we will support you. So what am I teaching? Evaluate care, uh, evaluate what they're saying and doing, not who's in front of you. So it's not this black and white, this is an adult, you should obey them. This is somebody you know, you should obey them. Instead, it's, is what they're asking you to do good and right, or is what they're asking you to do wrong or morally ambiguous? Then you never have to listen and we'll support you. All goes back to these principles of discerning good from evil, evaluating behavior. So as you're saying this, I'm thinking, okay, Julie has these, these years of counseling experience, and you're. I just want to remind people that you're speaking out of this, right? This, these are not abstract principles that you've just sort of pulled out of the air that you've written down and put in this book. This this comes out of uh, experience and passion that's been informed by that experience in terms of how people go wrong. Yeah. And yeah, so that being said, you know, with your own experience in counseling, 
what what are some of the you know what what are some of the things that have tripped people up that they just haven't been aware of that if they could go back you know when you listen to their stories if they could go back if they just took this turn in this direction rather than this turn over here or thought more mm-hmm. and acted more on this than ignoring this over here is there any concrete advice you could give us on that yeah what what is really hard for people is when they look back and they saw all these little red flags but they didn't rise to a level where they felt they could say this is definitely wrong um so examples could be you know people approaching their kids in church and hugging them too long or wrapping their arms and holding them into a bear hug and the parents sitting there saying that makes me uncomfortable but i don't want to make this person feel bad and they're not doing anything morally wrong but you have to look at it and go, that's just uncomfortable. And they don't know what to do with it. They don't know, how do I, am I being judgmental? How do I judge that, right? Um, and so one of the things I say is, well, why can't you just notice it? Why can't you just say that? That's an uncomfortable thing and evaluate it for what it is. Because in that moment, you might not have more information, but a week later, a month later, something else unfolds where you compare those two together and say, all right, now we've got a pattern or now I'm concerned because these are uncomfortable moments that keep occurring, and I need to be willing to address it. Um, but our fear of being impolite, our fear of being judgmental, means what we do is we squash perception. We squash things that we're seeing that in the moment we can't always make sense out of, but there is some instinctive something seems amiss. And I'm not saying to explode that and make it too big, but I am saying we should notice those things. We should be willing to give ourselves freedom to notice hold it loosely and get input sometimes invite other people in to say, Hey, this concerned me. What do I do with it? Mm. I just saw, I want to go off on a little tangent here, right. To, to maybe talk to youth workers a bit and, and people in ministry. I just saw an article today about a pastor, a large church, mega church pastor. The news just came out that after two months of a leave, and being under the authority of the elder board, and I'm not—I don't know a whole lot about the church other than it's a—it's a large church. But this story had hit the news because he was having um, some kind of inappropriate communication by text message with a female member of the of the congregation. And mm-hmm. when people looked at this, they said—and and fortunately, someone, a friend of hers, spoke up and just said, "This something about this is off. Something about this is wrong." And so it became an issue, which it needed to be, an issue that was exposed, and then um, he had to step away. I mean, to me, just as an aside, two months seems pretty doggone quick, um, you know, and I don't know all the, the circumstances, actually, and I don't know how well they're handling it correctly. But I want to go back to the beginning of that story there. Like, you're a counselor, all right, and and I know you've got good um, spidey sense, I'll call it that, Right. And you t- and I, I see that when I read the book as well because your 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 ears are up your antenna are up you know to understand this what would you say to people in youth ministry those just starting out and those who have been in, in it for a while as a result of our changing culture even if your motives are pure are there are there things that maybe youth workers used to do in the past that we just saw as normal nobody ever thought twice about it that now we just shouldn't do. I'm, and I'm just thinking about, like, you talked about the hugs, right? Mm-hmm. Um, you know, there's yeah. just so much, yeah. Yeah, and you know what? I don't want, you can look at grooming behaviors and, and adults who groom children or 
uh, high school students, even in youth ministry. And sometimes it can look very similar to what a really good youth pastor and volunteer would do. And I don't want to raise my children to be afraid of anybody who's kind to them, affectionate, moving towards them. Um, you just always want to teach what's appropriate and wise. And so should youth pastors live in fear that their their kindnesses are going to be misunderstood? You don't want that either. Right. But you do want to be wise. You do want to be above reproach. You know, I'm looking for things. If I think a, a youth pastor is being overly attentive to one of my kids, I'm not immediately thinking he's a pedophile, but I might stop and go, oh, I'm noticing that. I'm noticing that they're paying a lot of attention to my child. I don't know why yet. Could be pure motives, could be ulterior motives. What would raise the flag for me? Well, if they're spending more alone time together, if they're spending increased time, if I see changes in my son or daughter. So there's a wisdom that says, I don't even as a counselor want to live in fear that I can be accused of something, but I do want to live wisely. I do want to be mature and honorable. And I think probably where people in the church and, and youth ministers really have got to wrestle this through is what does that look like on social media? How do they connect with kids really well without being inappropriate in, in interaction and connection? And what does it look like to be above reproach? Those are wisdom issues that I'm sure we can come up with lots of rules and do's and don'ts. Some might be really good, but I think there's the the intent of the heart that if I'm going to be wise, then there'll be moments where I know to lean in and there'll be moments where I know to back away and say this probably wouldn't be wise. That's actually one of your chapters in there. And uh, it's funny, we I don't know if I told you this before when I was talking to you earlier, but uh, a couple episodes ago, we had Sarah Zylstra on and mm -hmm. she's written the book, you know, uh, Social Sanity in an Instant World. It, it was great to chat with her. I mean, she is so self-aware of, uh, you know, all that stuff in her life and what a service she's done with those other gals who wrote that book to help uh, women, and, and I would say men, because I read it, right, uh, you know, work through this whole social media thing. But Sarah, Sarah mentioned uh, your name. She brought your name up and mentioned uh, something about, you know, like at what age Julie Lowe allows her kids to have social media and things like that. So she was, it's by the way, it's always easier when you get those questions to say, well, I don't know the answer, but so-and-so says, and uh, we didn't ask her. She just brought that up, which I thought was good. But you're, you know, you're really in tune with that. And before we switch over to maybe talk to parents about their own kids and some borders and boundaries there, just as safeguards, right? Uh, and every kid is different. We know that. Uh, but with, with youth workers, could, could you, as a counselor and a mom, just give youth workers a sense of the, some kind of, what, what are some basic borders and boundaries within which we need to, to navigate that? So oh, our own question. use of social media, yeah. Yeah, well, I'm answering off the cuff, so you, so you feel fine. free to jump yeah. in too. But um, yeah, I would hope, I mean, one way of thinking about it is if the, the youth pastor is on social media with my teenager, are they also social media friends with me? Am I able to have the same, uh, is it kind of an open phone policy, open social media policy, where I can see anything that's being dialogued between the two? Is it done in group context? So some youth ministers will say things will always be done in a group context. Sometimes though, kids reach out personally, right? And so the youth pastor, that's not their fault. They can't handle that. I mean, they can handle that. 
Um, it could just be, here's somebody else who always has eyes on what I'm writing to any of the youth in our youth group. There's always another youth leader who sees it. There's always a co-partner who's included in on it. You know, it's a, if it's a female um, in the youth group, reaching out to the youth pastor is one of the female staff included in those uh, conversations. So it's that wisdom of uh, a teenager can't misunderstand or misinterpret what's being said. And it's an accountability to the leaders involved. And it's just love. Love says, I'm not going to live in fear, but I'm going to live wisely. And how do I communicate in a way I can't be misunderstood or a teen can't misunderstand my intentions here? And where can I copy parents in on it where it's helpful and healthy to do that? Mm. Okay. So talk to parents now. All right. Let's, let's hear what the lows have done. Yeah, because I'm sure you've done what you're recommending to people, right? I mean, you're living out of those out of those principles, and this is such a tough one. I mean, I, you know, I've said it before. We got started with dealing with these issues because, you know, 15, 16, 17 years ago, moms were coming to me going, my my, you know, 14 year old daughter's the only one left. She tells me on the face of the earth, or at least in her school, who doesn't have a a smart, right. uh, not a smartphone, but a, a cell phone. Now it's smartphones, right? right. And so there's so right. much more that goes into that. And, you know, they'd say, when do I let my daughter get a a phone? And Mm -hmm. I would initially say, well, I don't know. You know, I don't know the situation. I don't know your daughter. And increasingly now we know the dangers, right? That's why you you wrote this book. We know more now than we knew 15 years ago. So what is some good advice you give? And I know that the little chapter on that is very good, Uh, but just a couple of highlights. Right. And I always say, listen, the way we are parenting our kids doesn't mean I think everybody should, because you need to be an expert at knowing your own kids, right? Which means even in my own family, um, when they get a cell phone or don't get a cell phone will be radically different because I want to know each of my kids, their strengths, their weaknesses, where they're prone to temptation or struggle. Um, And so don't do it like the lows, but I'll give you the principles behind why the lows do the things they do. Our principle is um, social media, and you all know this, and you do this um, in your website and your podcast all the time, the dangers and perils of social media far exceed at this point the strengths of it. And there are strengths of it. So I hate saying that clubs and kids connecting overseas and things like that aren't beneficial but the downsides to it are so great. The anxiety, the depression, the comparison, the addiction, all those things are so great that at this point we've made the decision that we wanna keep our kids off social media as long as possible. Now that said, that's unwise if I don't also have the mentality of stewarding them and teaching them how social media can be good or bad and how they use it matters. So that by the time they do make the decision to be on social media, they now know how to navigate it. So that's that black and white. It's all bad. I'm not going to teach them anything. Stay off it. Or it's all good. And I throw them into this world where they get swept away by the tide. So it is my job to safeguard them. It is my job to be protective and say, there's just not a good reason at this point for you to have social media until a good reason comes down the road. And when it does, then let's talk about it. Let's figure out Let's make it healthy. And how do we put the guardrails around you to keep you safe and to keep others safe? Um, but the perils are so great at this point. Yeah. Boy, that's good advice. I know, I, you know, I just, it just seems like so many of, even in the world of ministry, so many of the stories that come out of just 
abuse of power, uh, brokenness. Social media just seems to be a tool that's used for that, that that hearts that are just bent in the wrong direction either use that or it, it, it fuels that there's like this symbiotic relationship. And I think you're right, you know, as I, I heard you talk, you know, I, I'm thinking, like, what's a good metaphor for this? Like, so if you had a 14-year-old who said, uh, I want to go out and fly a fighter jet today, you'd say, well, you're not ready for that. No, you're not getting behind the controls, so no. But if they have that desire and you know that someday they're going to, you don't just say, just wait till the day you're going to do it and then say, okay, right. here's the keys to the fighter jet. Fighter jets have right. keys, I don't know. But get in it and go and fly because you're going to crash then. You know, it's it's a disaster. And so I love what you're saying you know, we're going to say not now, but the not now applies to you having it and using it. But the now will be we are going to teach you principles of life and principles of discernment and wisdom that will equip you so that when the then comes and when the now comes and, and you're ready to do this, you are ready to do this. It's not just we're saying you hit this age. So now yeah. go, go do it. So I love this. Yeah, this is so yeah. good. Well, we're going to take yeah. another break, and uh, when we come back, we'll finish up our conversation with Julie about her book, Safeguard, Shielding Our Homes and Equipping Our Kids. We'll be right back. Hey there, Youth Culture Matters listeners. We've been told that one of our best-kept secrets here at CPYU is our one-minute daily podcast, Youth Culture Today. Each and every weekday, we release a new episode that's timely, practical, and hope-filled, all for an audience of parents, youth workers, and anyone else who cares about kids. Here's a sample from one of our recent Youth Culture Today episodes. Youth Culture Today with Walt Mueller of the Center for Parent Youth Understanding. Sometimes I've fallen into the trap of believing that if it looks good, it must be good. We can make the same error in the way we look at and judge our kids. We tend to believe that if their outward behavior conforms to godly standards, then everything is all right on the inside. As a result, we sometimes put a premium on outward behavior rather than on inward heart change. Jesus reminds us that we should shoot for the heart, not the behavior. When speaking about the Pharisees, he said, these people honor me with their lips or outward behavioral conformity, but their hearts are far from me. While it might be easier on us if we demand and receive behavioral conformity from our kids, the reality that bears long-term fruit for the kingdom of God is the obedience that flows not from fear, but from a changed heart. In other words, everything that looks all right might not be all right. Our goal should be to raise godly children who honor Christ with their lips and their lives. For more on youth culture, visit us on the web at cpyu.org. Youth workers, do your parents a favor and get them to subscribe to Youth Culture Today wherever they get their podcasts. Well, welcome back, everybody. Uh, I'm so glad you're tuning in today because this uh, this book, Safeguard, Shielding Our Homes and Equipping Our Kids, it's one that's extremely practical and it's one that I think is really, really necessary. Julie Lowe's done a great job on this. And as we've been chatting, you know, we've talked not just about, uh, you know, the actions we need to take as moms and dads, but about the principles beneath them. And that, I think, is a good starting point. And that's one of the great uh, values of this particular book is to get that, the foundations, and then, uh, you know, basic basic guidelines on how to equip your kids with safety skills. And then, Talking about some of the issues, some of the, I don't know, some of the things that will just trip us up in life. These are the things that we hear about, you know, when a young person gets in trouble or parents lament because, oh, I wish I had 
started with this. So the some of the some of the chapters. I mean, just as a fly over here, um, kids who get bullied. What happens when our son or our daughter gets lost? I, I'm just going to say I remember that. You know, I, I've talked about this before, where you're in a department store. I don't even know if we have those anymore. But I remember being a kid uh, down near where you live, Julie, near Philly, and going to the Sears, which doesn't exist anymore, in Abington, and yeah. one time kind of wandering, and all of a sudden turning and looking around, and I could not find either my mom or my dad. It is the most terrifying feeling wow. when you're there in this in this place, even if the place is familiar. So you talk about that, what to do with that, uh, child care guidelines, family safety plans, what about when, when there's violence that comes in to a child's life? Um, Julie writes about peer pressure, treating others with respect, sex and dating. Of course, we talked about social media related to that, pornography and sexting, which is such a big part of a young person's world right now. Alcohol abuse, drugs, smoking, vaping, which vaping, if this book was written 10 years ago and we saw vaping, we'd say, what is that? And it is off the charts right now. We've we've done uh, some some uh, work on that with our little one minute daily podcast, navigating mental health struggles, uh, on and on. So it's really really helpful. But I want to circle back to one of these chapters because I get asked this a lot, and I think maybe I need to know how to answer this better. And and I think more parents need to be tuned in this. And it's the issue of sleepovers. Why did you write about sleepovers? And give us some guidelines. Yeah, such such a hot topic, and people have very strong opinions. <clears throat> so, um, boy, I'm ready for people to disagree with this. But that's fine. It's um, so I'll start with we actually have had the principle in our home of no sleepovers for a couple of reasons. Um, there's the obvious danger issue and not knowing what happens, and people originally a lot of it stemmed out of abuse situations happen over sleepovers and yes i've certainly dealt with enough situations that is true but i'm also saying but don't live in fear is that a reason to make rules and i would say well not necessarily but it could be a good one are the benefits of sleepovers outweigh the risks of sleepovers but you have some added issues now that we even have to face as parents and those things are technology and what kids are watching and um, who else is in the home and pornography. And again, kids being on their cell phones till three in the morning and you have no idea if this family monitors their kid's cell phone use like you would monitor their cell phone use. So this principle of, you know, there's a way in which sleepovers are much, much more uh, challenging than they ever were before to know what your kids are doing, where they're at, does the other family supervise and allow the same TV watching that you would allow in your home? All these questions. So parents are always evaluating that. So in our home, the principle is, you know, we're not going to do sleepovers. But that said, there have been times we've made exceptions. Why? It just made sense to. We could guarantee the safety. We knew the family or the person was aligned with the same values we had. There were not going to be siblings or other people in the home we might have to be concerned about. Like we would have this checklist of reasons that we would go through and say, all right, this makes sense to allow it. Or they're going to a concert and they're not getting in till two in the morning. Do I really want to make them drive another 30 minutes? Or can they go to this person's house and spend the night and we'll be there in the morning? Wisdom says, I'm willing to navigate some of that. And when am I willing to, to say this, this is minimal risk? 
But when do I principally say, I think there are dangers. I think there are perils. I think there are wisdom issues for saying, yeah, in general, we're not going to be a family who are big on sleepovers. Now, that said, some parents will say, um, well, we will let our kids have sleepovers because we can guarantee what happens in our home, but we won't let our kids go to sleepovers. And I've heard people argue, well, that's not fair. Um, and I'll say, well, but every home can have different boundaries. And if as a family, I'm saying, I'm, I'm okay with your kids coming to my house. I'm not okay with my kids coming to your house. And I'm so sorry. And that does make for very awkward conversations. It does make people unhappy. I'm a counselor. It's uncomfortable for me when I've had to say to people, I'm sorry, I really don't do sleepovers. Um, knowing that there are occasions I might break that rule, but it's a wisdom issue. There are reasons I would do it. So those are a couple of thoughts. Yeah. Boy, as you're talking, you know, uh, and you, you you brought up how the times have changed and there's there's so much more there with a sleepover to navigate, right? So yeah. I'm I'm always rewinding in my mind and I'm going back to when I was 13, 14 years old, 12 years old, when my parents started to allow some of the guys in the neighborhood to do this and mm -hmm. it, in Jenkintown there. And, um, you know, I think what worries me a lot or what concerns me, I should say, the most about kids in today's world is I think back to what we did. Now, there was not abuse, yeah. but there was no sleeping. And that's right. where a lot of the mischief took place. And yes. uh, so if my mom's listening, it's time to turn it off now, mom. But, you know, <laughs> I mean, just I, I think about what we did. You know, there we are. These these parents, everyone's asleep. It's dark outside and we're we're outside and we have complete, total freedom in the dark. Right. And yeah, so there were quite a few quite a few adventures that uh, could have really gone wrong. Right. But mm -hmm. and that's where I think. You know, we put fences up because we understand that. And and you, from the standpoint of a counselor, that's uh, that's really, really good and important for us to hear. I want to finish out with this um, because the book's brand new. I want to talk about some different ways that you envision this being used, obviously for individuals to read it, and I would recommend couples together. You know, typically what we find with something like this is moms are really drawn to this. They, they you know, they want to engage with this. But I want to encourage the dads, read with the moms. And so you're on the same page. But beyond that, have you thought about any other ways that the book could be used or you're hearing about it already, you know, being used? Yeah, the way I would love for it to be used in a church setting is most, most youth pastors and volunteers in youth ministry are the ones who see these problems even before parents do right? They hear about these things happening, and they wish parents were aware of those things. So here's where in the church, ministry leaders, children's ministry leaders, they can do book studies, or they can have a seminar for parents and say, let's talk about some of these things. Or they're role-playing with kids. The very things you hope parents will do are things that youth leaders can role-play in a youth group and talk about with kids. What do you do when these things happen? How do you think about it? How do you advise your peers? When do you step in? When do you go get adult help? So anywhere from ministry leaders providing seminars to book studies to Sunday school, we're going to walk through this in Sunday school program. And what does this look like for young people? Um, there's a wide range of ways to do it. Um, and I'd really encourage you, youth ministry leaders will see this stuff a lot of times before us as parents do. Yeah, a couple of things about youth workers in, in relation to this, as you talked about this. One is a lot of times youth workers will say to me, I'm not I'm not going to touch this. You know, I'm, I don't have kids. 
Um, some of them say I'm not even married. I'm young. I'm half the age of the parents. I'm more the age of the students. And I, I don't want to touch this. I, I don't have, you know, any way to, to responsibly communicate with parents. Um, of course, the other side of that is those who are, you know, unmarried, no kids who think they know more about parenting than anybody in the world, yeah, you know, that kind of thing. And, and, uh, I always say, man, I know a lot less now than I thought I knew back before I had kids, but what youth workers can do, and I want you to hear this, is you, you can be the dot connector, right, between a resource like this and a group of parents that needs the resource. That doesn't mean that you have to teach it, but you can facilitate yeah. the launch of, you know, you can be the catalyst for a group to start where maybe, you know, while youth group's going on, you have the parents in another room and you have a couple sets of parents who agree to lead a discussion on this, Um you know, I think it would be great, too, for parents who are listening. If you are having discussions on this, I would encourage you to bring uh, the youth worker in from time to time or any educators that are in your church to say, hey, are you seeing this? Your perspective is maybe different from ours in the home, but are you seeing these particular issues being worked out in the lives of kids, some of the danger zones and danger areas? So just, just being able to function as the body of Christ and go back and forth. I do want to mention, because this is the way I think, Julie, and when I looked at the book, I thought, oh, this is great, like you said, for an adult education class or a Sunday school class. So, I mean, I'm Presbyterian, so we're very orderly, right? So we do adult education <laughs> quarterly, which is 12 weeks, and I noticed the book is 24 chapters. So you could do two <laughs> chapters a week. I mean, that's the way I think, and I already have contacted uh, one of the guys at, at our church who I, I teach with from time to time and said, this is going to be a good one for in the future. We need to make this happen, you know, with our little home builders group that's there at our church. So that's a that's a great way to do it as well. Julie, are there any other resources, because you've done so much more than this, can you point us, those who are listening, to um, some of the resources at CCEF? Tell us about that and then the other books you've written, just so folks are aware of where they can go and—, and uh, Gain some of this this wisdom that will allow us to uh, become more discerning. Yeah, so CCF, the Christian Counseling and Educational Foundation, has a lot of great blogs and resources, a lot on parenting, but a lot on ministry and certainly different counseling issues and struggles, articles, blogs, video clips, really helpful resources for people who are looking for it on, on many topics. Um so I wrote a book called Childproof, Parenting by Faith, Not Formula, which I think actually piggybacks off of this really well, because what I try to argue is, listen, I'll give you really good principles and maybe even good arguments for why you should think about sleepovers and stranger danger and things this way. But at the end of the day, you know your kids. And I think there are wisdom says we contextualize biblical principles according to the needs of our home. So that's where I think we give each other freedom, and that's what Childproof is about. Give each other freedom to say, we may parent differently, and I'll still do it biblically. We may land differently on sleepovers, but are we doing it in a wise way? And do we have thoughtful reasons for why we're doing what we're doing? And that's the argument, is to think about safety and who you tell your kids to go to, should they need to talk to somebody. All those things are wisdom, discernment, principles, that when you're navigating them really well, it gives freedom to come to different conclusions. Um, and then I wrote a book called Building Bridges, which is about expressive activities to draw young people out as well. 
That's that's really good. Uh, one resource I want you to mention because uh, I was scouting this out because we're working on something else with you. Uh, but CCEF does this annual conference, and I know you just had one here uh, near us in Central Pennsylvania in Hershey. That's yep. always uh, when you mention Hershey, it's always a it's always a draw for people for some strange reason. I'm not sure what that is. <laughs> chocolate but, does it. Yeah, chocolate does it. You know, when you when you it's like all of us who live here in central Pennsylvania, we either smell the good smells of chocolate or <laughs> the byproducts of the farming industry, depending right. on which way the wind is blowing. But even here in Elizabethtown, the chocolate. But uh, so you just had a conference and I saw that past conferences and even this this conference, the the audio uh, and video, mm-hmm. some of the video was archived. And yeah. so the last couple, I think this last one was the, the topic was wisdom, which is. Yes. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And so um, what will people find if they go there in terms of some of the audio? Yeah, great question. So there's conferences for sure from anxiety to depression to this year was the wisdom literature and what wisdom looks like. Um, next year it's on trauma um so you have these these themes and then within those themes are all these different topics so even at this last conference on wisdom i i talked with a a fellow worker about instilling wisdom in the next generation and uh somebody did parenting in the proverbs and what that looks like and so there's just a richness of all different kinds of topics you can find oh that's great and then, uh, I'm get, you know, for me, the connect is obvious that youth workers would want to come to something like this. To me, this is really good training. Um, mm-hmm. Next year, you said it's on trauma. And mm-hmm. I'm just going to say, we've said it before. We've had Diane Langberg on here. And I remember her saying several years ago, how does she say trauma is the mission field of the 21st century? Mm-hmm. And, you know, this is something I think we need to become more well-versed in, not because we're all going to be counselors, but because we all need to be able to recognize this and respond to it and get, get uh, the young people in our care the kind of help that they need. So, yeah, this, is, this has been so good, Julie. Thank you so much. Um, any parting words for youth workers and parents before we sign off here? Yeah, just glad for the ministry you have because they they're in the trenches doing some hard work with young people today. So God bless them. Yeah, well thanks for saying that. And again, yeah. uh the book is Safeguards, Shielding Our Homes and Equipping Our Kids. It's published by New Growth Press. We love so many of the books that are coming out of uh New Growth. What a what a great uh great publisher and resource for all of us. So check out their resources as well. And uh, you can connect with us if you have any questions, get in touch with us. Chris, do we have, is there a, we have an email address, right, where people can get a hold of us if they have questions or suggestions about further Podcast uh, at cpyu.org. Okay, pod, podcast at cpyu.org. And as always, you know, it's kind of like normal for anybody who does a podcast to say, give us a good review, share it, like it, whatever, uh, subscribe. That's always helpful. So. Thanks, everybody, for listening in, and we will catch you on the next episode of Youth Culture Matters. Thanks for joining us for Youth Culture Matters, a podcast from the Center for Parent Youth Understanding. If you'd like to learn more about today's youth culture, visit our website at cpyu.org. And if you have any questions, comments, or feedback, email us at podcast at cpyu.org.